You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 130, brought to you by Vessi Seeds. Hey everybody, it's, uh, the, uh, it's January 2023, and uh, I'm going to do my, my sort of annual end of year, beginning of year, <laughs> winter solstice style podcast, uh, where I enter, do a Q&A with uh, viewer questions. So I'm outside here, and as you can see, it's very wintry. Uh, the winter hasn't been like this. It's actually uh, just our first real day with snow on the ground that seems to maybe want to stay on the ground. It's been a very mild fall. And some of the questions I have from viewers are in relation to that and how it might affect things growing in their garden. But um, yeah, with no further ado, uh, let's, just, uh, let's just get into the questions, all right? So here we go. Uh, the first series of questions, they're all uh, on the theme of growing garlic. I'm not sure why that was the case, but probably because... Uh, at least people in the northern areas, uh, it was a really mild fall, so the garlic didn't behave like normal because of that. So let's let's wade into it here. First question is from the gardening astronomer. Uh, says uh, this fall has been insanely mild, and my garlic started to sprout and grow big time. Me too. I dumped a ton of leaves on top to insulate them. I think what's meant is that to keep them from getting too warm. Um, are they going to? <laughs> Uh, be okay come spring. So uh, I should step back a little bit from the question and just speak to uh, the goal of finding the optimal planting time for garlic. Uh, so we're talking about hardneck garlic growing in a northern climate where everything freezes up in the winter and the plant goes dormant, right? Uh, but you plant in the fall just like a tulip. So the ideal planting time is the planting time when you get maximum root development and minimal shoot development, minimal green, maximum root, minimal green, right? If, if not, you know, ideally you, you put them in the ground and you put a mulch on top and from what you can see, nothing's happening, even though something's happening, right? But nothing's happening above the soil. And then the following spring, they come up out of the ground, they start growing like crazy. That's sort of the ideal situation. Uh, if you see some greenery coming through in the fall, um, you know, most likely, especially if you live somewhere cold where it can get into double digits uh, Celsius anyway, um, that shoot's going to die back. So the energy the plant invested in sending that shoot up is going to be wasted. It's going to have to, you know, pull from its reserves to, to send up new shoots, right? So you want that optimal time where you get maximum root development and minimal green development. Uh, but sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes, you know, you, you think you got the planting time right, and you don't, <laughs> and the plant grows a lot, or just you have a weird fall, right? And it's very difficult if you use a date, um, that's not reliable. And even if you use signs from nature, it's not always reliable. Um, like I usually plant all my garlic within two weeks of the first frost. That's what I tend to do. Once we get a frost or two, you know, um, then I know, a first real frost, and then you get like almost a, a nothing frost, but the first real frost, um, that's when I know it's time to plant garlic, which is usually around the beginning of October, sometimes the end of, at end of September. I mean, sometimes we get frosts here a couple weeks into September, but, but that's rare, right? Um, anyway, that's how I, I judge it. Um, so I planted all my garlic within the first two weeks of October this year, and, uh, and they all sprouted and they all grew. And they're all, I mean, there's some right over there, if you're watching this video, um, there's some that are, most of them, almost all of them are six inches high. Didn't matter where I planted them, right? <laughs> I got them in different parts of the garden. They're all six inches high. Um, what's that? 15 centimeters high. Um, so that's not what I like. That's not optimal. And I put a mulch on all of them and they all grew anyway. 
Mulch can only do so much to insulate them from the heat of the sun and that sort of thing, right? Um, so they all grew and they're all, you know, all that greenery is going to die back over the course of the winter. I can't speak to every climate, but where I live, uh, it gets cold enough, you know, minus 15, even minus 20 Celsius sometimes. The plant can't support that greenery. Uh, it just freezes and it basically gets freezer burnt and it dies. Um, but then, in my experience, uh, the plant has a reserve, like a lot of things in nature, it's got a plan B, right? Um, so it'll just send up new greenery uh, in the spring and everything should just be fine. Maybe, you know, the garlic is 5% not as great as it could have been or something like that. Um, it's probably not like perfect, right? But it's, it'll still work fine, you'll still get good garlic. Um, of course, you know, I'm going to harvest mine next year, so we'll, we'll see all, we'll see how it all works, but in my, this has happened to me before, it'll happen to me again, and the plants seem to recover from it okay, in my experience. We got another question here from GB, says, uh, I'm in Vancouver, BC, uh, British Columbia, Canada. We had a really cold weather here, and uh, I was very late for planting garlic. I don't know what really cold means in Vancouver, BC. I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean the same as in a lot of other places. It's a fairly warm place usually, although they had a really, uh, you know, a lot of snow recently, which is unseasonable for them. But yeah, really cold. All these terms really cold are relative. Really cold Vancouver is not really cold. Alberta is not really cold. Uh, Wyoming <laughs> and that sort of thing. really cold Alaska is not really cold Florida, right? These sort of things, right? Anyway. Um, I'm guessing what the, the, the viewer is saying is it's unseasonably cold, not normal for where, where, where that person is. Now, we had a really cold weather here and I was very late for planting garlic, which I was able to plant this week. I think these questions were sent to me early December, maybe two weeks into December, something like that. Um, so the question is, will I be able to get any harvest or have I missed out for the season? I don't know, I don't live in Vancouver, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to gamble that your garlic will be just fine, right? Because um, you, you still, you're in Vancouver, you're going to have a reasonably mild winter. Um, I know people here that just planted them recently, right? Um, so I, I think they'll be fine. You, you, you know, I don't know how warm your soil is going to be. I don't, I mean, where I live, they have to be planted earlier because the soil freezes solid into a block of ice. Right, so everything, the plant can survive that, but where I am here, they have to be planted earlier in the fall because once you get into January, February, the soil just freezes and it's, nothing's happening, right? So, you know, if you want any root development, that's when you have to plant them. And I don't know if they need that root development to survive the winter, but, you know, I'm sure it helps. Um, in Vancouver, I don't, based on my understanding of how Vancouver works, I. I doubt your soil freezes solid for the entire winter. Um, you know, I'm sure there's parts of BC where that happens because it goes pretty far north, but at Vancouver. Um, so I think it's likely. I mean, you're going to get some snow and you're going to have some cold weather, but the question is, does the soil freeze solid? If it doesn't freeze solid, what temperature is the soil? There's a temperature where the garlic bulb is going to be active. And there's a temperature below that where it just stops and goes dormant. So that's all a question of soil temperature. Um, but even then, it may just be the case that those bulbs, even if they don't grow at all, they might just wait until um, the spring. I know the garlic in my fridge that I, so I, have a, I keep all my garlic in a, in a fridge in my garage, I like this sort of old 
you know, old half broken fridge that I uh, put all my root vegetables in. Now I've, I've stored them in different ways over the years, but the garlic I have in my fridge, I just have them in a brown paper bag or cardboard box. And um, they're just sitting there. They're not in soil, they're not in the ground. They're just sitting in a box. And uh, if I take them out in uh, May and stick them in the ground, they'll start to grow, right? <laughs> it's less than optimal, right? But that, you know, they're, they're not dead. So it's pretty, pretty hard to kill a garlic bulb. It can happen. I, I've found, I had a number of them die last year, but I'm still not sure why that was. It might've just been the soil was too cold and, and too wet, right? Really, really wet soil. Um, the, the, the garlic, the, you know, the, the, the bulb can't breathe and it can rot because it's gotten too wet for too long, too wet, too cold for too long, that sort of thing, right? Um, but um, I'm, I think they'll probably be fine. Um, really, there's not much, uh, <laughs> they're in the ground. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no point in saving them until the spring, right? Maybe you'll get some root development, maybe you won't, won't. But you know, even if this person was asking me, should I put them in the ground or not? Always put them in the ground, even if it's late, because they're, they're not gonna be any use to you the following spring, right? You, you just hang on, hang on to those and plant them in May the following year. You're going to get tiny, they're going to grow, but you're going to get little tiny useless garlic, in my experience. Always stick them in, in the fall, right? And it may be that Vancouver, December is very similar to Nova Scotia, October, <laughs> that sort of thing, right? Uh, even though you've had a lot of snow lately. So, yeah, I think, I think you'll get something. The question is, what are you going to get? That's all a function of how much root development is going to happen before things start to warm up and the plant starts to grow. But I think you'll be okay. But, you know... We'll just see, right? It's always, always stick it in the ground and always see what happens is, is my advice always. Um, uh, last one is from Silver Wolves. Um, says, hello, I live in zone 7B, North Carolina, United States of America. I planted about 50 cloves of Transylvania softneck garlic on October 31st. Huh. Great, 50 cloves, good for you. Um, since that time, it's been warm and cold and it's now staying around 50 to 30 degrees. So I think my translation from Fahrenheit to Celsius, that's from around freezing to, you know, cold but above freezing, right? The leaves have, um, the leaves have grown anywhere between five and 10 inches. I'm afraid I might've planted too early. Should I be concerned? Did they grow too much before they went into hibernation? I think I'd answer that in the previous question. Um, it sounds like your winter's, you know, probably, I'm going to say North Carolina, you got a much warmer winter than me. <laughs> so I, I think you'll be fine. I mean, cloves or garlic are pretty tough. Think about, here's another thing to think about everyone. Um, what does a garlic do in nature, right? What does a garlic naturally do, right? You have a garlic and it grows and then it, you know, eventually dies. There's no animal in nature that takes a clove out, waits a couple of months, then sticks it back. It breaks it all up and sticks it back in, right? We break them up because if they're broken up, you, you get a bigger garlic because that, that one clove gets more nutrients, right? And we do that to sort of optimize things, right? Uh, but in nature, the, the garlic just stays in the ground all the year. And every, every year there's a plant where I don't notice it, I don't pick it, 
and it comes back the following year. So that garlic clove's been in the ground since August, right? That's what it, right? It wasn't planted in October, it was basically there since August. Right? It was developing roots since late August, and they do that, right? If you don't get them out, when it's time to harvest your garlic, if you don't harvest them quick enough, they'll start to bust open and send out roots anyway, okay? So the garlic should be fine. Also, where you are, you don't have these, um, you know, ridiculously cold winters here, so you might not even lose the foliage, right? They might just grow really slowly over the course of the, the winter, which a North Carolina winter would be, uh, well, North Carolina's looking pretty nice uh, <laughs> compared to this, right? So um, I think your garlic will just, you know, I think they'll be fine. I, you know, I mean, just watch and see. I'll, that being said, I don't plant soft necks. I plant hard neck garlic because um, I mean, you can plant soft necks in a climate like, like mine, but uh, I've, I've just always been growing hard necks and that's what I had uh, access to and I've been saving my seeds. So in one of these years, I should give soft necks a try. Um, maybe if my uh, if SC seeds ever starts carrying them, but I, I use hard necks because I save my own seed and that's what I've got. Um, but anyway, I expect that they'll be fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> Okay, um, and the last question about garlic was from Peter Dard, just said, planted garlic too early, what to do? I think I've answered that, don't do nothing, just cross your fingers, enjoy the beautiful winter scenery, <laughs> and uh, hope for the best in the spring, it'll probably be just fine. All right, that's the garlic section. Um, next one is from The Closet Musician, that's a great, you know what, I'm, that's kind of like me, I, I was actually playing the piano earlier today, I like playing the piano and guitar. Um, but I like playing it when no one's around. <laughs> and I've been doing that ever since I was a teenager. I used to come home from school. Um, when I was old enough to come home from school, both my parents were at work and my sister was at a babysitter's. She was younger than me. And I had the house to myself and I would play the piano. Uh, Billy Joel, hoping I could uh, impress the ladies and that sort of thing. Never worked. Never. I don't think I ever got one girl playing the piano. But um, I, I too, am a closet musician. Uh, anyway, <laughs> any tips growing onions? This will be my first time growing seed from next year. Or this will be my first time growing from seed next year. So this person is talking about this coming spring. Shorter season, but hot in summer. BC Canada. Okay, so this person's in BC Canada. Um, well, if it's your first time ever growing onions, I'd recommend using um, the um, onion sets, right? You buy them in the bag, they look like little teeny tiny onions, you just stick them in the ground. Um, they cost more, you know, like you're paying more per onion, but it's so much more idiot proof, so much more reliable, so much faster. You stick it in the ground, you put a couple inches of leaves or mulch on there, and you don't do nothing for the entire season. And they'll you know, they'll all grow. I mean, the trick with onion sets, I know you, know you asked for seeds, but I'm recommending onion sets. Um, costs a bit more, but you're going to get, the value of the onions you're going to grow is going to be greater than the cost of the seeds, put it that way, right? Um, the trick with growing onion sets is in, your in that bag of little tiny onions that you're going to stick in the ground, there's big fat ones and little skinny ones. Plant, you know, sort them all out, just put them on the kitchen table and Put all the nice big fat ones on one side and all the little sort of scrawny ones on the other side and plant all the nice big fat ones in wherever you're going to put your onions put those in the best spot right and plant them all about six inches apart you can do it in a perfect grid like a checkerboard right um, if you still have space then plant the little scrawny ones right um, but i find that i always seem to have more onions than i have space to put them 
and those scrawny ones, the, the big ones will grow better than the scrawny ones. They'll all grow, right? But if you, if you have to make choice, if you can't plant them all, plant the big, big juicy ones, right? Uh, now with seeds, main tip I would give, they're, they're a lot more work than the sets, but they're cheaper because you can get like 200 seeds for two, three, four bucks, right? Depending on the brand. Um, pick a variety that does well for your area, right? Um, I'm sure there's easily researchable online. You can go to a garden center. What's the, uh, I mean, you could use my, my sponsor, Vessi Seed, of course. But I think there's one out there too that's pretty big, pretty big name company. Um, but follow the guidelines, that sort of thing. The, when I failed planting garlic from seed, it's because I planted them too early. Um, if it's too early and the soil is too cold and things are too cold, they'll germinate and they'll grow. But, I mean, it's not like the temperature is constant in spring. You have warm days, you have cold days. But once you have days when it's really cold, the soil can get to a temperature, the plant can get to a temperature that it's at risk of being attacked by bacteria and various pathogens that just exist naturally in the soil, right? There's, there's probably things you can do to treat it, to, to deal with that, but I, I never bother with any of that stuff, right? Um, the trick is just to not plant them too, too early, right? Um, so, you know, I would plant them, um, you can plant them early. When you start seeing dandelion greens popping out of the ground, that's when I would plant them, right? And don't, don't get too freaked out if they don't seem to be growing. They, they come in very tiny. It's this tiny little green stick kind of thing, right? That pokes up out of the ground. Uh, that's all you're going to see. Um, so, you know, and, and they, they're a bit slow to germinate, especially if you're planting them early. But yeah, a lot of onions need a lot of time, so plant them early. As soon as you start seeing dandelion greens, you know, dandelion starting to come up out of the ground, um, that's when I put those seeds in the ground, right? And uh, that should be okay. Uh, I got to change my camera angle here because I just realized that the whole thing, the lens is covered in snow and ice and freezing rain. Uh, I had it turned this way so I'd have my back to the wind so I wouldn't have wind in my microphone, but now the camera lens is getting all this water on it, so I've got to deal with that right away. I'll be back with you to answer the rest of these questions, probably in a different location. I'm going to have to go into the forest, I think, to, to hide from this weather. Alright, so i got a new location here. I've wiped the uh, lens down and uh, a little bit uh, more cover here, a little less wind uh, out of the elements. Uh, i got the nice, nice uh, forest behind me here, so let's, uh, let's continue on. Uh, next question is from um, Alan Murray. It says, uh, I have trouble saving bean seeds for replanting the next year. When I let a row grow so the beans will be mature in time, they stop producing and they don't necessarily get fully mature and dry before frost anyway. Do you keep, do you keep picking off till the end and then take some off the last ones? Should they dry on the vine? Is it okay if I left on past frost, or best to harvest before possible frost, even if not fully or overripe? All right, so uh, what I tend to do, okay, and just depends on where you're doing a bush bean or a um, you know, climbing, climbing bean, all right? If it's a bush bean, um, I usually take a few of the plants and put a ribbon around them. And just leave them alone, okay? And I mean, if your beans aren't getting fully right before the frost, you should plant them a little earlier, <laughs> right? And uh, if you've got a short growing season, I, I've never, I mean, I have a short growing season here. We have late frosts and early frosts sort of thing, right? 
Um, I've never found the beans not to uh, develop, but perhaps the person means fully develop. Um, but yeah, plant your beans early enough so that they can be fully mature um, in late August, early September sort of thing, right? Because um, there's a certain size and a certain level of maturity the bean needs to reach for the seed to be a good seed, right? You know, you don't, you know, there's when you pick them when they're not fully developed, but then they keep growing and they become really, really big and fat, and then they start to shrink, and then eventually you can you know, see the seeds rattling inside the pod, and that's when it's time to harvest them. Um, but I think what this person is saying is that whole process usually isn't complete before the frost. That's my read on it anyway. Um, so uh, plant them as early as you can for that variety of bean. Uh, you can also try planting beans that grow faster so that they're com they've completed their growing cycle in time. But I mean, I, every variety of bean I've ever planted, uh, it's been the case that, I mean, I usually plant them. My, my advice of when to plant beans is watch the dandelion. You know, on my Substack page, I got a whole thing on planting times. It's really worth a good read. Um, and it's all based on the various stages of the dandelion. When you see the greens, when the dandelion turns yellow, when it goes all white and fluffy. Anyway, for beans, you plant them when the dandelion's all white and fluffy. You know, like when you can blow them off, that sort of thing, right? Uh, usually by the time the dandelions reach that stage, at least where I live, uh, the risk of frost is really, really low. So you should be able to get away with it. Uh, and if you plant it then, you should have plenty enough time for the bean to reach full maturity and develop. Unless you're planting a really slow-growing bean that needs a huge season. And if that's the case, that might not be the right bean for where you are. Um, the question was, is it okay if I harvest them after a frost or two? Usually, it depends. Is it a hard frost or is it a light frost? Right? I mean, if the whole bean froze solid, the seeds are probably not viable anymore. Sometimes I get a frost and it's just this light little thing. Sometimes I get a frost where all the water in the garden hose is frozen solid and there's like ice on top of my uh, goldfish pond, right? So that's probably going to kill your beans if they're just out in it, right? Um, but a little light frost, usually the pod will protect them, usually, right? Um, but certainly if you've had a frost, get all your beans out of that garden, right? All the ones you want to save for seeds. Um, but another great trick, uh, you can do this with bush beans, you can also do it with, with vine beans if you do it a certain way, is you cut off a section of the plant with the beans on it, and you take that inside, and you hang the whole section of the plant upside down. Hang it somewhere where you can get air, right? Um, hang it somewhere where, you know, you don't want to cut a whole bunch of, you know, bean plants and just throw them in a pile, because uh, if it's too humid, they'll all just get all moldy and nasty and stuff like that, right? But cut off a section of the plant with beans growing on it. Hopefully they're fully mature, almost fully mature. Um, but maybe, I mean, what this person might be saying is the beans are big and fat, but they haven't dried out such that they're dried beans inside. They're still sort of the big giant beans inside the pods, which aren't ready for saving. Um, so when that's the case, just cut the stem off, take a section of the plant, hang it somewhere where there's some degree of airflow, um, and just leave it like that, right? That bean will continue to mature on the vine and uh, it'll dry out and eventually, uh, you know, after a month or so, um, you can, you know, get the seeds out of the pod, stick them in a little round paper bag and save them for the next year. So that's the trick for doing that and that should work out just fine. I hope I've, I hope I've asked, answered all your questions here. Uh, the next one's from Mitch Jones. Boy, there's so much snow 
and water on what I've printed off here. I can barely read this. Uh, I should get one of those smartphones, I guess. Um, I can't stand using them. Um, anyway, uh, Mitch Jones says, uh, any downsides to trying to grow veggies in the boulevard? This is a great question. Uh, in the boulevard space between the sidewalk and the street. I'll explain what that does, what that means for people that don't know what that means. Now, there's not much soil there before it comes gravel underneath, so I know it's not ideal, but I've been having some moderate success over the past couple summers. Aside from dogs peeing on it while being walked through the neighborhood, are there any other concerns you can think of in terms of eating veggies grown in that space? So, this is, you know, if I lived in a, if I didn't live in a place like this, and I was living somewhere urban, um, I've always been amazed that people don't use that space. Right, so we're, what we're talking about is here, you've got a house, and you've got a sidewalk, and you've got this little four foot, five foot wide piece of, like, grass you have to mow between the sidewalk and the street. Um, some people have that in, in an urban setting. And the way I drive to work, to and from work every day, I, I tend to drive through the side street so I can get garbage bags and look at everyone's trash and see, find useful things. <laughs> There's certain things I just can't uh, resist collecting, like pipes. Uh, metal pipes are just such a useful thing. Um, <laughs> you know, mirrors and glass and things like that, right? Um, but, but most mainly uh, leaves and anything I can use as a mulch. You'd be surprised the mulching materials people just stick out at the curb. Whole bales of hay, all kinds of interesting things, right? Uh, so it's just easier to gather it on the way to and from work and just throw it in the back of the car and there we go, right? Uh, I was going to burn the gas anyway getting to work and back, so I might as well get, get more value out of it. Um, uh, anyway, uh, that boulevard, that little space of grass, uh, I've never understood why anyone would want to mow that when they could be growing something there. And on, on my drive to and from work, I always see people that have these, and boy, some of their gardens, they look like they've been watching my channel because they got a mulch on there, right? Sometimes they even have little uh, domes on them. Uh, so I've often wanted to stop by and say, hey, do you know, do you watch my channel? <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, what was the question now? I got off topic here. Any questions or concerns? Yeah, I know there's not much soil, uh, but, you know, so to speak to your soil thing, most of the nutrients that the plants gather um, for everything they need, they're getting that from the top six inches anyway, <laughs> right? I just did a whole thing with Robert, my last podcast with Robert Pavlis, Pavlis he was talking about that. Right? Most of what's happening with roots is happening really close to the top. Right, if there's anything happening below, really what's happening below is there's water there and through, uh, as a capillary reaction, um, or osmosis, one of those two things, anyway, the water's sort of being, you know, there's water there and it gets to your soil and it gets to your plants. And some of your plant roots might go down that far, but they're mainly just getting water from that area, right? So it doesn't matter that it's just gravel underneath. And to that, to that point, if you've seen some of the videos where I've shown the herb garden that I have growing, in my driveway, I literally planted herbs in the gravel, and they're growing great, right? Because they're getting lots of sun, it's a good spot. Yeah, it's almost all gravel, but they seem to do just fine. I hit them with a bit of compost tea once a year, and that's really all I do. Um, uh, anyway, uh, any concerns? Um, well, I mean, where I live, I live in Halifax, Nova, I live near Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's a university town, I think there's like four or five universities couple community colleges there too, so a lot of students. Um, you know, my concern would be drunk students. <laughs> I used to be one of those students. Drunk students walking home 
uh, trying to impress their friends by kicking in your pumpkins or peeing all over your garden or, you know, doing something like that. But, you know, generally speaking, they're all good kids, right? <laughs> right? So, um, you know, yes, a neighbor or a someone could take your stuff, um, but it depends on the neighborhood you live in. I mean, what have you got to lose would be my opinion, right? Also, uh, from what I've seen, a lot of people don't eat vegetables anyway. Right? <laughs> One thing if you were growing, uh, I don't know, uh, iPhones in your garden, people are probably be taking your stuff. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, I've found people don't even know how to prepare vegetables. That's why I do so many cooking videos. Uh, so I think, you know, I, th I think you're doing a great thing. I think you're making great use of that. You're paying for the land. You're paying property tax. You bought the land. You're paying property tax up the wazoo, right? So you might as well get something out of that land instead of just spending time mowing it, right? And uh, so I always think it's great that people use that space. And I wouldn't have any concerns at all. I don't... Um, yeah, I wouldn't have any concerns at all, <laughs> right? Uh, I think it's a great idea, so good for you, and yeah, just keep, keep at it. Wouldn't worry about it at all. Man, what a podcast recording. You know, this podcast business is not for the superstitious, because this particular recording, it's like the whole universe doesn't want it to happen. <laughs> I just had to change cameras. Now I don't have a lapel mic anymore. I'm down to my GoPro. Uh, this is the only time I have to do this recording. My camera battery died, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Anyway, we press on. <coughs> I'll just uh, try to put it all back together in the editing and hopefully it'll work out just fine. Um, so, uh, next question is from Green Lady Permaculture. The question is, uh, if you had an 85-day growing season, what are the top three foods you'd grow? My season is that. <laughs> Central Oregon Zone 6. B. All right, so this is a good question. I have a fairly short growing season too. I'm in zone 6A, you're in zone 6B, but number one, the zone doesn't mean anything because there's microclimates. And my understanding of Oregon is that you get a lot of microclimates. Um, based on your question, I just went and looked up, you know, um, uh, Oregon growing zones. And there's a couple of good articles from local uh, university extensions in Oregon uh, speaking to that. You have all these microclimates where it's like some places, even though Oregon is zone 6B, there's microclimates climates where it's like zone, zone 4, zone 3, zone 5, right? Um, all these weird pockets where, um, you know, things just don't behave like everywhere else. Um, so, you know... It can certainly be, and you can have, I was looking at, there's this chart that shows all these different lengths of growing seasons in Oregon, and they're all over the place. So I always think of Oregon as this nice warm place, because um, I'm up in Canada, up in the north. Um, so the zones don't tell you everything, right? So that's number one. Number two, the length of your season, let's say it's 85 days. I mean, that's an average, and that is a calculation based on last frost in the spring to first frost in the fall. And it's not like growing is not happening outside of those two times, right? It's not like there's nothing growing and then one day in uh, July, everything's grown and it continues to grow. <laughs> you know, so there's, like, there's nothing and all of a sudden in June, boom, everything's there. And then at some point in September, boom, everything's gone. It doesn't work that way. Right, some things start earlier than others. Right, there's a lot of plants that are uh, frost tolerant. Um, the, you know, really the question is, 
when does the soil start to get warm? And my understanding is Oregon's relatively sunny and it's a weird effect. I mean, my growing condition challenges here where I live, Nova Scotia, Canada, are especially where I live near the coast uh, in particular. I mean, there's inland parts of Nova Scotia that don't have anywhere near the coastal effect as the parts of the province that are closer to the coast. Whereas like today, it's sort of foggy and raining, but not real rain. It's what I call fog rain today. The fog's so thick, it's basically raining, <laughs> right? Um, so, and we can have sun, sun rain, fog rain, fog, snow, fog, ice, <laughs> all these different kinds of types of fogs and snows and that sort of thing. I'm challenged for light. But what I've noticed in our winter is that of the foggy days and the, and the snowy days and the rain, we get rain in winter too here sometimes. Um, those are the warm ones. The really sunny days are the actual ones that have really cold nights. And from what I, re I read about Oregon, it's the same sort of thing. So even though it's a pretty sunny place, you have much more sun than me all year. Um, but you have a lot of cold nights and you have a lot of cold. But even then the cold you have isn't ridiculously cold. It's just too cold for things to grow, right? Because my understanding is you're dead of your winter it's it's not like way way below zero it's just below zero right that sort of thing but um it depends on where you are i suppose there's, again there's all these little microclimates where it gets much colder than others okay so this doesn't make any sense to generalize the point is and where i'm going with all of this is that let's say your growing season starts around the end of may let's say it starts in the middle of may and ends in the middle of september so what is that? June, July, August. Well, let's say it's just that. Let's say it's just June, July, and August. That's 90 days. You said um, 85 days. So it's, let's say it's something like that. June, July, August, or, you know, some point in June to some point in early September, right? That's 85 days, give or take, right? My last frost can happen in the first week of June. My first frost can happen very early in September, right? But there's still things that can shrug that frost off and grow anyway. Kale is ridiculously tough, right? Um, there's really no point in planting it early because it doesn't taste good until it gets frost, right? But we start getting frost here in September, October for sure. But the kale here, I don't harvest it all until like December, right? Because it can, it can, a kale plant can like, as long as the soil doesn't freeze, kale plant can pretty much freeze solid. And then, it, you know, the sun comes up and it sort of thaws out and then it starts growing again as long as the soil isn't frozen, right? So there's lots of things you can plant uh, that are very cold tolerant and tough that don't mind that. There's also, I mean, any kind of plant. This is all stuff you're going to have to research yourself. Um, but there's like things like minimum growing temperatures um, where, you know, some seeds, this is a way of looking at it, a simple way, simplified way of understanding it. Uh, some seeds need like five. I'm going to do this in Celsius because that's, a, I'm a Canadian. I think it's Celsius. You can Google the translation. It's not hard to change it. Um, some, some seeds need five degrees Celsius, just slightly above freezing, right? To germinate. They'll grow. They don't grow great, but you know, like everything grows well at room temperature. Funny that, eh? And the temperature we like is the temperature everything works well at. Um, but there's some seeds that will germinate at around five Celsius. There's some things that'll will not germinate until the soil is about 10 Celsius. And there's some things like in all your peppers and beans and squash and all the sort of warmer things like that, that will not germinate until the soil is about 15 Celsius, right? I'm just using those as rounded figures. Every seed's a little bit different, right? But it's a good rule of thumb. Um, so, you know, there are some things you can plant before your growing season starts, 
right? Because you take a walk. Just take a walk before your... Just go outside and take a walk down the street before your growing season. Look around. You're going to see things growing, right? There's going to be weeds and different things coming up out of the ground, right? Things are growing. So even though it's not the growing season, uh, things are growing and there's things you can grow, right? The term we use for growing season, we just mean like that's the period of time where you can grow anything. You can stick anything in the ground and it'll grow and you got lots of sun and the soil's nice and warm and everything's working great, right? That's the growing season, right? But you've got this time before and time after where a lot of things will grow, especially if you have a lot of sun, especially if you employ microclimates, little domes and stuff like that, where you can take advantage of that sun, right? And keep things from getting too cold and get, you know, get an extra month or two on either end. You have lots of sun. I mean, here where I live, Nova Scotia, Canada, I've gotten spinach to germinate in March under a plastic dome. And that's with like overcast days like this, where, you know, you can stare, you can stare straight at this. I can't even tell where the sun is. That's how overcast it is. The sun's somewhere over there, but I don't know where it is, right? Um, so there's things you can plant that'll start growing before the growing season, right? Things with a low minimum germination temperature. Minimum germination temperature. That's what you have to research. Uh, I wrote an article on this on my Substack page um, called uh, A Dandy Way <laughs> to Figure Out Growing Time. Something like that. It was about using the dandelions of growth stages as an indication of when to plant things. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of things you can grow with that low minimum germination temperature, which will start growing and it'll put out greens and they can shrug off a little bit of frost. Not a hard freeze, but like spinach is a good example, right? Things in that family, all your, all, many of your, um, your brassicas, your, your crucifers, like um, kale, broccoli, um, uh, collard, collards to some extent, uh, kohlrabi, a lot of these things, they'll begin to grow. And if you get a little frost, it doesn't kill them, right? So there's things like that you can plant. Um, you can also plant, I mean, garlic's a great thing to grow, right? Cause you can plant that in the fall and it'll come up the following, uh, spring, um, potatoes are, I mean, you, you said my top three, but I mean, this is what I like to eat, right? That sort of thing. But I, I wouldn't, I mean, if, if you were going to choose three things, let's say you don't have a large garden, I wouldn't invest a lot of energy trying to go peppers and tomatoes and you know, uh, sweet potatoes and, you know, like heat loving, long season, things like that. You might be able to get them to grow because you've got lots of sun where you are, as, at least I understand, as, as I understand, I could be wrong with that assumption. Um, but if you have a short growing season, you got these frosts, it's going to be trickier to grow those things. Also, for any plant, I mean, every type of, within any plant variety, like let's say a tomato, there are some varieties that will reach maturity in 70 days. There's some that will reach maturity in 80 days, 90 days, 121 days, right? Same with a potato, same with a squash, right? So any given variety of plant within that type of plant, there's a wide amount of variation uh, in terms of how long that plant will take from germination to maturity. So pick things that grow fast, right? Um, but top three, I mean, it's a question of what you like to eat, what I like to eat. That sort of thing. I mean, I grow potatoes, I grow green beans, I grow spinach, I grow kale, I grow, I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head now. Um, but I mean, those are the first things I would think. I like all those things. They're easy to grow. They, you know, there's varieties that grow really fast. Um, 
you might want to prefer bush varieties of things over vine. Like you can get bush beans or vine beans. Bush beans grow faster and come to maturity faster. So, um, you know, that might be a, a choice you make. Same with it. You were going to try a tomato. There are fast growing sort of short stocky bush varieties of tomato. Try those if you really want tomatoes. Um, but yeah, I would focus on things that don't mind a little frost. That way, if you get a frost, you know, you know, your, your growing season's over when you start getting frost. A lot of plants will just keep going. Swiss chard will keep going, right? A lot of greens will keep going. And in fact, a lot of greens taste so much better after the frost. I mean, kale's a great one, right? But a, a lot of them, they, they, the frost really improves their flavor. Um, what was the other thing I just... Oh, uh, carrots and parsnips. I mean, there's varieties that take 120, 130 days to grow, but there's faster growing varieties of carrots and parsnips. And both of those plants, I mean, you're the end of your, the end of your growing season, which there's still sun and the soil's not frozen, but you've got frost. That makes those things taste great. And they keep growing, they keep going. There's still sun, as long as the soil isn't frozen solid and there's sun, they're doing their, and they've got foliage and the foliage hasn't died because the foliage on those two plants, carrots and parsnips is tough foliage, right? It'll take, cold nights it'll take frost it'll take you know even under like a, a snow like i've got here it'll take that right they're really tough um so your your short growing season is actually great for things like that because once you've had a few weeks of frost that's when their flavor actually starts getting really good they continue to grow when your growing season's over it's not over it's still going right that sort of thing right so i think i mean it comes down to what you like and if you've got a family, what your family likes. If you're growing something and only you like it, like what's that one? Um, ground cherries. You know ground cherries? Anybody know ground cherries are like a little tomato-y sort of thing? Uh, very tropical tasting. They grow in this beautiful little package. Almost has like a mango, pineapple sort of taste. I love them. But um, no one in my family really likes them. I should try them again. Maybe my daughter. Kids are getting kind of adventurous now. When I first grew them, I thought, my kids are going to love these because each one's like a Hershey's Kiss. Nobody liked them, so it's like, then I'd have like this big bowl of ground cherries and I'd be eating them all. Uh, it's just not as fun when you can't share it with people. So if you've got a family, you kind of have to defer to what you really, no point in growing something only you like. At least in my opinion, anyway. It depends on how much space you have as well. Um, but anyway, that's the way I would come at um, addressing that, that situation. Uh, think about the things you like to grow. Choose varieties that are fast growing. Um, you know, focus more on things that, you know, don't mind a frost as well, right? And things with that uh, low minimum germination temperature. And uh, I think you'll find that you can probably get, your, your growing season is probably a little longer than it is. Because <laughs> there's things growing before it starts and there's things growing after it starts. It's just that 85 day window you have, that's, that's when you can grow anything, right? But there's things that grow after that and there's things that grow before that. Okay, um, all right, so that's that. Now the last question, I had two people ask the same question, and that was um, best tips on, so Joshua LaPointe said, if you were starting over or have advice for new gardeners, what would it be? And uh, uh, Heather Windhalt, Winterhalt, what a great last name. Um, Heather Winterhalt asked um, best tips not that Joshua Lapointe isn't a great name too. Uh, they're all great names. <laughs> Just there's something about that Winterhalt uh, that I like. Um, best tips on starting a great 
a brand new gardening space on a new property. What would your planting and setting up priorities be? Uh, what would you look for in a garden plot? How would you start off your soil for a large space? So this, both of these, I mean, the second one is a bit more specific than the first. Um, best tips on starting a brand new gardening space on, new, on a new property. And if you were starting over and have advice for new gardeners, what it would it be? I mean, that's a book, <laughs> maybe a series of book to answer. And in fact, on my Substack page, I keep plugging it on this podcast, but it's because, I mean, that's, I've got two ways, I have three ways of, of wading into questions gardeners ask on my various platforms. I'm out in my garden doing something and I turn on the camera and explain what I'm doing, right? That seems to be what most of my viewers like. That's what gets the most views, right? But that's, I'm in the moment, my, I'm sort of thinking about it. I've been out there in the quiet, listening to the birds sing and I'm contemplating everything I'm doing and how I'd explain it to someone. And then I say, I should get my camera and, and talk, talk through this, right? Um, so very spontaneous. And then I've got the podcast where, you know, I usually have some set of points I want to speak and I've thought through maybe for the better part of a week, thought through my answers, but it's still um, somewhat off the cuff because uh, it's just more interesting to listen to someone talk. Uh, otherwise, if I write it all out that I'm reading and I, I'm just not as animated and, and as interesting to listen to, I don't think. Um, but the other platform I have and the reason I started doing it, and also with the podcast, I'll bring an expert on and I'll ask a question. Maybe a viewer has asked me a question and I could answer it. But like, why not bring someone that wrote a book on that? Because all I'm doing if I'm answering a question is I read a bunch of stuff that I answer it or I'm speaking from my experience. But isn't it better to bring on someone that's like devoted a huge portion of your life, their life to that one thing, right? So that's why I love to do the podcast because I can bring a book author on or some sort of person that works in a, you know, agricultural setting uh, and, and really bring their experience and their knowledge base to my viewers. But then the third platform, which is what I started doing last um, April, is a Substack page where, oh, there's a squirrel over there. Um, squirrel! <laughs> um, Substack page is where I can actually sit down. I write a thousand article or more, a thousand word article or more uh, every single week. And I release it every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. my time. That's just, I used to release it in the morning and I realized, you know, it's probably setting off everybody's email when they're asleep. <laughs> so it's probably not very nice <laughs> to be doing that to people. I actually had a friend at work complain about it. Uh, so I said, oh, okay, maybe I should release it a little closer to lunchtime. Maybe people will read it on their lunch if they, you know, if they're so inclined. Anyway, the great thing about that platform is that I can sit down and think through the question, think through the answers, reword, rewrite, reorganize how I come at addressing the topic, show pictures, show charts, show graphs, like really get, I mean, that's kind of the, I mean, I have a day job and that's kind of what I do for a living. I prepare documents for people to read so they can wrap their head around some complicated question and and arrive at a, a good answer for that question. Um, this is a simplified way of saying it's a very kind of boring job, but it, that's what I do. Right? Um, so uh, for the gardening context, I think it's, it's just a different way to uh, thoughtfully, methodically, uh, you know, but in a very thorough way because you've got infinite time to put the put the article together. That's why I started doing that. Um, and that's why, I've, and, and that Substack page has, uh, you can be a free subscriber, or you can be a paid subscriber. Um, 
free subscribers have access to some of the content paid subscribers have access to all the content that's just how things work right um because it takes a lot of time to put these articles together i can't do i'd love to do it all for free maybe when i retire if i'm unbelievable let's say i just have a windfall of cash i can just do everything for free forever but for right now i'm not in that situation um so uh some things are behind a paywall I think a Substack lets you read some things anyway. It gives you like a little taste. It gives you a little, you know, you can read like the first hundred words of every article. And I think if you're, if, you, if it's your first time going there, it lets you read a few things just so you can get a feel of, of the content and that sort of thing. And I do free, you know, uh, once a month I do a free, all, all my cooking, once a month I do a cooking one, how to cook something, a garden thing usually. Um, but it's more just self-sufficiency. You know how to cook homey practical things that are inexpensive to cook and easy to prepare and save money and save time and stuff like that um, anyway i do a cooking article the last article of every month is a cooking one those are always free because i think everyone needs to know about that uh, and then periodically from time to time if i write something which i just think like boy you know i should just let everybody read this the whole world needs to read this <laughs> you know? uh, sometimes i'll make those free as well so if you're a free subscriber you'll get that sort of stuff um, you're a paid subscriber uh, it's it's like five bucks a month or thirty dollars for the year um, i think that's the u.s price so it's if you're in canada it's a little bit more than that um, but um that's just a way of helping support the channel helping pay for my camera gear and you know all that sort of stuff right just just helping to make that all happen um but anyway i wrote a fairly I'm, I've, I've done two i'm gonna answer your question i swear to god <laughs> i just started getting into this uh talking about the Substack page, so I might as well just do a full plug right here. Um, I've got two things going on. This particular question prompted me to start a series. What would I do if I was starting all over again? Okay, so I've done, I've started a series like that. Um, I think two weeks ago I put the first article out on that, and uh, next Tuesday's article is going to be uh, part two of that. I don't know how many parts that's going to have. I'm just going to keep doing parts until I felt I've fully address that question <laughs> right so there's gonna maybe i can put that all together and bind it up into a book um so uh so the full answer to that question is on my is going to be on my Substack page in detail right um also for those that i've mentioned this in the past and i've uh, you know sort of um uh what's that called uh talk to various guests about this uh, sometimes i always have book authors on my uh podcast and I say, boy, how did you get that book done? I just can't seem to get my book done. I started a book three, four years ago, and I never finished it. So what I started to do with that book is once a month, the first Substack article of every month is going to be an installment on that book. I'm releasing that book. I'm writing and releasing that book serial style on my Substack page. That's all going to be behind a paywall because I'm writing a book. I, I should get paid for it, I think. I should get paid something, right? Um, so um, that whole book is coming out in installments um, on the Substack page. Um, it won't be a thousand word installments. It'll be like sections, either complete chapters or sections of chapters, right? It really depends. There'll be complete meaningful sections, right? Um, so some chapters are longer. They're just by nature what the chapter is about. They're gonna be longer than others. Um, but uh, yeah. Once a month, I'm going to have a, a new section of that book on Substack for anyone that's a paid subscriber can can view that and and, and give me your input. I mean, the, the long-term goal, once I have this whole thing done, 
is to edit it a little bit more and maybe put a version of it up on Amazon. There's a way to publish through Amazon. Uh, so if people just want to buy the book and don't want a subscription to my Substack page, they can just get a hard copy or digital copy version uh, of it that way. But for now, this is just my way of forcing myself to get it done. <laughs> you know, I've been writing the Substack articles since last April, and I found I can stick to the discipline of writing one thing a week. Um, so I know I can finish a book. But the problem is if I'm writing an article every week for Substack, and by the way, you know, like five days a week, I'm sitting at a desk writing <laughs> so for my regular job, right? So I've only got so much time to sit at a desk writing because I prefer to be out doing stuff outside, right? I'm an outside kind of person. Um, so, but I know I can, in addition to my day job, which is a desk job, I can sit in front of my computer at home and pump out a thousand words a week. Uh, so I know I can, if I work the book into that, that, that schedule, I can get the book done. And you can be part of that process if you uh, subscribe to my Substack page, because if you're a paid subscriber, you can give me comments, right? So as the book's being made, you can be a part of that creative process um, by giving me your, your comments. Um, if you notice any errors, please let me know. But also just if you have any questions or like, oh, you should talk about this, things that maybe it's something I didn't think of to include in a chapter that could go in there, right? That sort of thing, right? Um, so that's a great thing uh, I'm working on. So anyway, let me get to your question here. What I can, you know, there's only so much you can do with a question like this because it's such a big question. So since Heather Winterhalt uh, had specific questions in her question, uh, I think I'll just speak to those because it's, it's just easier and otherwise I could just talk forever. <laughs> you know, I don't know if we all want that. Uh, so I'm going to answer them in a sort of different order than they were asked. Um, so the first one, what would you look for in a garden plot? Well, for me, I want a big, I want a 25 square, 2,500 square foot garden, <laughs> right? 50 by 50. So I need something that size, right? Um, but also in a garden plot, you want something that's got sun. You don't want a garden plot that's getting shade cast on it for some meaningful period of the day, right? So, you know, if you're buying a new home, look at where's the, you know, if you're buying a new home in a neighborhood, um, let's say you see a nice, nice one in a place you want for a good price. There's probably only one rectangle <laughs> on that piece of land where you could have a garden. Um, where's north? Where's south? Where's east? Where's west? And is it the case that there is a giant house south of that? It's going to be casting all this shade on it in spring and fall. The sun's in different positions depending on the time of the year, but as you, if you understand that, that really is going to affect how much sun your garden's going to get. Because if it's, if it's all the shade being cast on your garden, it's just not going to get sun. And sun is everything, at least where I live, where it's northern climate. The sun is the energy for your plants. I did a, a video once, I think the title was something like, plant food isn't plant food. <laughs> the people who sell fertilizer, they call it plant food, but you know, most of the, most of what the plant's made of is carbon and water. You know, like we eat carbon, right? And that's what, you know, we're sort of, we're made of carbon and water sort of thing, right? Um, well, plants suck water out of the ground and they get the carbon out of the air. And the way they turn their, you know, convert all of that into, into things is from the energy from the sun, right? 
We get our energy from eating. Plants get their energy from the sun. So that's the energy source. That's the power. That's what's running the whole thing. If you don't have sun, your plants just can't do everything they want to do. Um, in terms of a vegetable garden, right? So you want a place that's going to get full sun all day or pretty close to that. If you've got a shady spot here or a shady spot there, maybe you can use that to grow, um, you know, spinach and, you know, certain things that... There's ways you can make use of a shady spot in a garden. I'm not saying it's the end of the world. Um, but, uh, you know, something with really good sun. You don't want to be your house next to a giant pine tree that's going to be shading your garden half the day, that sort of thing. You also want it to be fairly flat if you can, not too steep, right? You want the grade to be, you know, uh, very, very... Either it's a very, very slight slope or flat, right? Um, you don't want a steep thing. It's, it's not impossible to garden on that, but my, my garden is on a moderate grade and it's annoying to grow on a moderate grade. I can tell you that. Um, you know, when the water runs, it can create these like rivers through your garden and every bed is slightly, either your bed's got a slight angle or you have to like half bury one side and have the other one out of the ground. So the beds are level, even though the slope of the ground's on an angle. It can be really annoying to be you know, planting. It's not impossible, right? But in an ideal world, everything's pretty flat, lots of sun. And ideally you've got some soil there. <laughs> You know, I mean, why buy a bunch of soil if you've got some? So if you've got a, you know, as a general rule, if you've got a, a lawn, you've got soil. I mean, if, if, if the soil there is good enough that you've got grass and clover and dandelions growing on it, it's probably half-decent soil. Grass needs nitrogen. Soil, or uh, yeah, clover fixes nitrogen, right? Dandelions will grow anywhere, really, but there's a variety of things growing there, right? There's probably... Nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium in the ground, right? There's probably worms in there. There's probably all kinds of stuff like that, right? If it's got like grass and clover and some weeds, right? If the ground is all like, like here where I am, the ground here is all uh, moss, right? And all the trees are spruce trees. You know, if I wanted to turn this into a garden, let's say I pulled out every tree and I took a tractor in and I bulldozed the thing and I rototilled it all up, I doubt this soil would be much good. I would lay money on this being not very good soil because everything that's growing here is stuff that doesn't need great soil. Moss and spruce trees. I mean, there's spruce trees here, I could show them to you if this wasn't an audio podcast, that are growing on top of rocks, right? You got a rock, moss grows on the rock, and then a fruit tree, a spruce tree grows in the moss on the rock or spruce tree will grow anywhere, right? Um, so the soil here is no good at all, right? Where I put my garden in, it was like a field of waist-high, knee-high weeds of various kinds. Um, so there was good enough soil to support all of that. Um, so that's another good thing to look for in terms of your location. Um, so that's what I'd look for in a garden plot. This is the first thoughts I had off the top of my head. There's, I go into more detail, so that's one of the uh, first things I speak to in the article, the first one I wrote. Um, how would you start off your soil for a large space? That's another great question. That's another one I addressed in the very first article, uh, I think anyway, or, or maybe it's the second one that I was just writing on it uh, this morning. Um, I would, so if you've got that, that you know, if it looks like that location's good and you've got half decent soil there, and people are going to be shocked when I say this, but I would take a rototiller to the whole thing. I would just churn it all up. Yes, you know, if you've got lawn, you can put cardboard on that. 
You can plant potatoes and put hay on top of that. There's all kinds of things you can do to, to uh, kill the grass, have it just break down naturally on its own. And if you put cardboard over grass and wait an entire season, all that grass will decompose and it'll become compost. When you take the cardboard off, um, you're gonna have beautiful soil. But you gotta wait a whole season for that to happen, right? I mean, there's things you can do, like I've shown with potatoes, where you have grass, you mow the grass, you put potatoes on top of the grass, you put about a foot high of hay on top of the potatoes, and um, you know, in the fall when you go to harvest your potatoes, all the grass is dead, the soil's beautiful, and you've got potatoes, right? So that's that's a great way to take grass or weeds or lawn or something like that without doing any any real work, just letting the potatoes, um, you know, basically you're smothering out the existing plants and potatoes because they can push up through all of that anyway. If you're growing something while you're smothering everything out, there's a number of things you can plant that way. Um, so that's another strategy. But if you've got a large area and you just want to get everything happening right away, take a rototiller to it. Just rent a rototiller. You know, don't buy one because you shouldn't rototill every year. It's not good for your soil. But if you do it once, you're not going to destroy the, you know, everything will bounce back. Everything, you're, yes, you're going to kill some things and you're going to shake things up a little bit. Um, but everything there will come back, everything will be fine, and, you know, in one afternoon, <laughs> everything's brown and ready to go, right? <laughs> everything's all worked in. And all that's, you know, all that sod and all that wheat, whatever was there, that's all now organic matter in the soil, and it'll all decompose and it'll all break down, and you'll probably have a good garden that year. Now, I mean, that being said, if you've got the time, you should get your soil tested, don't buy one of those damn kits. I would get your soil tested at an agricultural center uh, near you where I live here, where there's like government run labs where you can get it done for about, I think it's like 30 bucks or something like that. Um, and you know, depending on where you are, there's always, just Google it, you know. Um, so if you Google soil testing, just Google the words soil testing. Chances are the, the, the thing that's local for you, that's your option, will probably come up, right? Because Google knows everything, right? Uh, that's when I, you know, when I was researching my answer for this question. Um, I typed in soil testing and yes, there's like a place, you know, 30 minutes from here, I can take my sample of my soil and have them tested. So that's a great thing to do, just to know if your soil has got everything it needs or if it needs some kind of amendment. Right? And depending on what the amendment is, then you have to make a decision on, on how to amend it. Are you going to use fertilizer? Are you going to use, uh, you know, my, you know, unless you've got some sort of really drastic problem, right? There's some, you know, critical, you know, uh, critically low amount of phosphorus or some strange thing like that. And, all, and that's very unlikely, right? Uh, especially if you've got a lawn or a field, right? If it's a field or if it's a lawn, it's probably got it. A little bit of everything it's probably good i mean there's plants growing there right so the things plants need are there might be a little bit acidic it might be a little alkaline all that sort of stuff um but you get the soil tested and depending on what the soil test says you need you address it from there and there's you know if you've got you know there's many soil deficiencies that can simply be addressed by tilling in manure <laughs> as simple as that right and then you know, once you've got your soil, and, and if your soil is acidic, you might have to lime it. If your soil's um, 
too alkaline, you might have to put some sulfur there to, to make it, you know, to bring it back to balance. Um, but it's usually it's okay if it's, you know, there, there's all these limits for these things, right? Uh, personally, I've never found, I've, I've never gotten soil tested and I've never, um, I've never needed to amend it. As, except in so far as the fact that I've added manure to soil at times and I keep my soil mulched perpetually. That's an, that's an, keeping your soil mulched perpetually is an amendment, right? Because the mulch is breaking down and the soil organisms are feeding on the mulch as it breaks down and they're distributing their poop, right? Little soil organism poop all throughout the soil, which is like a kind of manure, right? So by virtue of keeping my soil perpetually mulched, uh, soil organisms are working on that mulch and they're excreting their excretions and they are amending my soil perpetually. So my soil is constantly being amended, uh, but in the most passive, simple, cheap, easy way, right? And because it's mulched all the time, the moisture levels stay relatively constant, the soil doesn't dry out, there's all these benefits, right? It, 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 it's, you know, helps the soil life propagate. All, all the things that I want living on my soil do really well. There's some problems that can come with it. You can get a lot of snails and slugs and stuff like that, but all in all, I found it works out okay. Uh, long story short, you know, to prepare the soil, I would just till the whole thing, get it over with. You know, if you do it once, it's okay. I think I might even had a video with a title like that. It's okay to till in year one, I think I called it, because it just makes everything happen so fast, right? Um, then you take the tiller back to the rental place and you never rent a tiller again because you can mulch your soil after that. And I've had various um, uh, garden uh, book authors on my uh, podcast and I've discussed that. I mean, these, are, these are all pro-mulch, pro-organic pro mulch uh, type uh, uh, authors, proponents. But they all kind of agree that, you know, to till it to prepare is no big deal, right? Um, you're going to have a healthy garden. And by the way, all the gurus out there that are anti-tilling, uh, many of them speak to how they used to till their garden. So, <laughs> right, they used to till their garden, now they don't. Well, if they used to till it and now they don't, you can do it once. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's a quick way to get everything ready. You know, if you're going to uh, use raised beds, like I do slightly raised beds, which can be handy for avoiding things getting too wet, right? Because soil needs to have a certain degree of, I mean, I like to plant everything in the ground and I don't like to have my raised beds too high. As I always say, six, six inches is, you don't need to go any higher than that. And I mean, I have the boxes six inches high, but the soil levels use only a couple inches above grade, okay? Um, but there's advantages to doing that. It doesn't get too wet, it dries out a little bit. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't become like a, uh, you know, a swamp. <laughs> so there's advantages of that if you get a lot of rain where you are, like I do. Um, but also by having it low like that, you don't have to spend a small fortune on lumber making it high and a small fortune on soil and all that sort of stuff to, to fill the thing, right? And you can pretty much just use the existing soil. Um, you know, a cheap way to do that, let's say I put a six inch bed in, you dig the soil up, you throw a bunch of rotten logs and compost and crap like that in there, and then you put the soil back on top. Right, so now you've brought the soil level up and there's all this stuff underneath it that's just sort of slowly rotting, right? And all the soil organisms are feeding on that stuff. It's called a hugelkultur bed and I've done videos on that. Um, but that's how I'd start off my soil for a space like that. If I had a, you know, if I'm gonna be tilling the garden anyway, why not work it in some manure? If I had a reasonable, if I could get 
manure for a reasonable price um, and I could till it in, I'd do that. Um, some manures are better tilled in in the fall than in the spring. If you're going to be doing all this in the spring, then you want a completely finished, well composted manure. If you do it in the fall, maybe you can get away with it not being perfect manure because it's got a, you know, the entire winter to break down a little bit. And if you do it early enough in the fall, um, you know, there can be a lot of stuff going on in your soil for September, October, November before it freezes, right? And that's the other question. If you're, if you're setting up a new space, are you setting it up in the fall or are you setting it up in the spring? Number one, if you can do all that, it's too late now, it's January, but if you can do all that work before the spring, do it, right? Don't do all that work in the spring. Why not do it in the fall, let things settle out over the course of the winter, and, um, right? So number one is if you can do, do everything you can do in the fall, that's a great tip. Everything you can do about preparing a gardening space, do in the fall, if you can, right? I mean, if I find fall is the most busy time in my garden, I'm harvesting everything and trying to save everything for the winter. And, but I'm also, everything I can think of that I might want to do in terms of moving soil, changing things around, reorganizing things, I want to get it all done in the spring because I don't want to be thinking about that in the spring, right? That's when it's time to be planting your plants, nursing them along, behaving them, dealing with pest problems, you know, making sure everything's got enough water because, uh, you know, when plants are small, um, their roots only go down a couple inches, so you got to be, you know, hyper-focused. They're little babies. You have to take care of them, look after them, right? That's what you want to be focused on in the spring, not major projects, uh, you know, making beds and shoveling dirt and doing all this kind of crap, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, if I could, you know, if I could get a source of um, some manure that's well composted, um, depending on the kind of manure, there's a certain amount you want to, you know, depends on the type of manure you're using, how much you'd add, right? So I, I can't get into that here. It's something you have to Google and research yourself. Um, but if it was the fall and I had a source of manure, you're not going to hurt anything by adding some organic matter or a source of compost or anything. I mean, manure and compost are the same thing, right? You've got partially broken down plant matter that will continue to break down for about five years. Even what they call finished compost is not finished. Put finished compost in your ground. It's still breaking down for a number of years. They just call it finished compost because it looks it looks like soil But under a microphone or microphone on a microscope It's still pieces of stuff that are breaking down, right? So the advantage of having uh, any kind of good organic matter like that whether it's uh, you know well-aged manure or finished compost That stuff's still going to continue to break down in your soil and it's you know, it's going to be continually releasing nutrients into the soil. So that's why it's such a great thing to add to your soil. So I might add some of that. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I just tend to try to use, and I want to keep the cost low, right? Because you can spend a lot of money on a garden um, and it can be very um, uh, depressing if you don't get a lot back out. So for year one, for a new garden, I just tend to plant things and see what happens. Maybe try to plant a lot of things that are easy to grow. Plant some beans, plant some potatoes, plant some, you know, things like that. And just reserve a few beds for things that are need, like squash. Squash is easy to grow, but it needs excellent soil and perfect sun. So maybe you have a couple, maybe you've only got so much manure at your disposal. So you, you, you uh, amend a few beds with the manure and that's where you grow your squash, right? Beans, they pull nitrogen out of the air, ideally. And sometimes they don't, but usually they do. So for beans, you know, just use the existing soil and stick some beans in and see what happens. If you've got nice healthy beans, the soil's probably okay. If you get really 
pathetic, scrawny beans in your existing soil. There's probably something wrong. <laughs> then you should really get a soil test and figure it out, right? Uh, same with potatoes. And they should grow, and so potatoes don't mind acidic soil either. So you plant your potatoes, you get really bad results with your potatoes, which is usually so easy to grow. Um, yeah, maybe there's something happening there. Maybe there's something you want to look at, right? Maybe it's got too much of this or not enough of that. That's sort of too wet, too dry, you know, too acidic, too alkaline, whatever, right? Um, but yeah, I tend to just plant things and see what happens. Um, what would your planting and setting up priorities be? Oh, well, again, it depends on the time of the year. It's, it's all comes because you're, 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 you know, racing against time. You only got so much energy, you only got so much time um, in your life in general, because you probably got a job and busy life. Um, but also just you're running up and everything has to be in the ground by a certain point of time if it's going to grow before, you know, the growing season's over. So you work back from that. What takes the longest to grow? What grows the shortest? What do I have to do first? What do I have to do last? Right? You, you, think, of, you think of through logistically that way. Um, if you're starting all of this in the spring. You start as, as soon as the soil can be worked, you get out there and you start working. And you start putting things in the ground depending on when they have to go into the ground. Right, so that's how you make that decision. So it's, it's pointless for me to get into details about that, but that's, you know, if it's the spring, then you're, or sorry, if it's the fall, then you don't have to think about any of that. You can get the entire space and do, you know, basically put everything where it's supposed to be and do everything you want to do with the soil and all that sort of stuff. You can get it all done, you know, you don't have to think about planting and that sort of thing. Um, but if it's the spring, not the fall, then you only have so much time for digging and turning and tilling and building boxes and all that sort of stuff because things have to go in the ground when they have to go in the ground. And so what has to go in the ground first? What has to go in the ground last? All those things matter and you have to figure that out. I'm sorry I can't go into more in detail than that, but this podcast is already over an hour, so I think, uh, I think we're going to wrap things up. So um, that's my answer to this uh, this year's viewer questions. I mean, I should do more than one of these a year. Maybe I should do them on a theme once in a, t- once in a while. Um, but anyway, I hope you found that interesting. If you did, please like, share, subscribe. And until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for watching. Hey, if you want to help support everything I'm doing here, go to Vessies.com to buy whatever you need for your garden this year. Use my coupon code GAVS23 to get free shipping as long as there's a pack of seeds in the order and there's no oversized items in the order. Check out the description box of this video for details. You can buy everything you need from Vessies. They have seeds, fruit bushes and trees, soil amendments, pest solutions, tools, clothing and lots of other stuff too. So yeah, if you want to help support everything I'm doing here and they sell something you need, buy it from them using my coupon code and happy gardening.